This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. and welcome to this radio church service for Waitangi Weekend. My name is uh, the Reverend Dr. Jordan Redding. I'm one of the chaplains at the University of Otago and a minister at Knox Church Dunedin. It's a pleasure to uh, lead this short service of worship this morning. And uh, via the the miracle of modern technology, I am Conducting this service via Zoom, so apologies if, if the sound quality isn't as good as it normally is. Uh, many thanks to Otago Access Radio for being able to record and bring this live to air from afar. We gather in prayer. We pause, O oh God, to contemplate the work of your hands, to consider the multitude of the stars a universe expanding beyond anything we can imagine, to attend to the thin layer of gas protecting us from the cold dark of space stretched out like a canvas around the earth, a tent in which all things live and move and have their being. We are mindful of this world so fragile and yet so breathtakingly beautiful. A theatre displaying your glory, mirroring your grace, signifying your mystery. A theatre in which we are actors, participants in the drama of your salvation and in which all things are directed to your good ends. Praise to you. In considering your glory, O God, we also become all too aware of our frailty. The grass withers, the flower fades, and we too will come and go. Towers and skyscrapers will one day crumble, empires rise and fall, but you, O God, are eternal. We confess that you are God and we are not. Forgive us when we play God, asserting our dominance and power over others and over your world. Lord, Have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And you do have mercy on us, O God. For in Christ you have come among us, sanctifying what has been desecrated, restoring what has grown weary, dignifying what has been dehumanized and blessing this world with incalculable value. By your spirit, draw us in to your open future in Christ that we may shine forth your glory this day and evermore. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. Etafano at Karaiti, family of Christ, wherever you are tuning in from, the good news is true for all of us. We are forgiven. Forgive others. Forgive yourself. Amen. So I've got two uh, scripture readings that will uh, shape our reflections this morning on this uh, Waitangi weekend. I want to reflect on the theme of sovereignty. And so I'm going going to begin with a a, a verse, a chapter from uh, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, beginning at verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the youth will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I've got a short uh, story from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1, right towards the beginning, starting at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, 
they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise to Christ, the word. So as I mentioned just before, this is Waitangi weekend. And I want to reflect on this Waitangi weekend on what it means to say that God is sovereign. Because the issue of sovereignty gets to the heart of some of the issues, some of the debate some of the conflict at the heart of Waitangi Day. We might think of a sovereign as an absent monarch ruling from afar. But I think Isaiah and Mark would disagree with this image of God. God exercises sovereignty as one deeply involved, sustaining this world at every moment. I have a confession to make. I'm not much of a gardener. I don't so much garden as I wrestle with my plants, trying to assert my dominance and beat them into submission. And yet I can't help but feel it's a losing battle. The January rains that we've been having have been resulting in an abundance of life. In my small garden patch, weeds are sprouting up from every crack and crevice. My cauliflower, which I thought I planted far enough apart, are now vying for space like three fully grown men, man spreading in the backseat of a car. I don't trust the pumpkins. Their long, thorny tendrils are always creeping, creeping closer. And that's to say nothing of the hordes of convolvulus constantly threatening to invade the thin fence separating my garden from the invading hordes doesn't stand a chance. It's constantly leaning further and further over. I'm amazed by the abundance of growth and life in my small plot of earth. I wonder what's happening in your garden at the moment. Even in harsher and more inhospitable climates like the arid rocky land that covers much of ancient Israel, life is present there too, even thriving in innovative and ingenious ways. Last year, I uh, went walking up the Kepler up to uh, Mount Luxmore Hut above the tree line, and the hut ranger was showing us the various tussocks, mosses, hebes, fungi, and flowers each of which has evolved over time to use the unforgiving weather 
to its advantage and even to thrive in this unforgiving climate. There's perhaps a note of hope here for us when we consider our current ecological crisis. We talk a lot about climate change as an existential threat. And for human beings and many thousands of species of flora and fauna, it's not an inaccurate description. We must do everything we can to mitigate its effects. And yet I heard it said recently that regardless of human action or inaction, the ecosystems of the world will heal themselves eventually. It might take a few 10,000 years, but not even the awful destructive power of bottomless human greed can undo the insatiable thirst for life that is in the world around us, beneath us, and above us. There is a fragile but irrepressible vitality in the world that can't be quenched. While science today tells us more and more about the mechanics of life and how this world works in all its complexity, it does not presume, or at least shouldn't presume, to explain where this insatiable thirst for life comes from in the first place and to what end or purpose, the why and wherefore of existence. Isaiah saw the insatiable thirst for life in the world and saw in it a divine will, a divine intentionality in everything that is an eternal word that creates and sustains all things in every moment in accordance with the unchanging and eternal will of the creator. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever, Isaiah reminds us. John Calvin, Uncle Calvin as I like to call him, uh, said similarly, He described this world as the theatre of God's glory, the Theatrum Gloriae. Why don't we use phrases like that anymore? God's glory, Calvin writes, is engraven in characters so bright, so distinct, so illustrious, that none, however dull and illiterate, can plead ignorance as their excuse. For Calvin, the whole created world and its fragile and miraculous beauty points beyond itself. It is, there's a word for it, it is sacramental, a visible sign pointing to the incomprehensible, transcendent mystery of God. Both Isaiah and Calvin are describing not only that God is sovereign, but how God is sovereign in our world. God is not sovereign like an absent queen exercising power from over the oceans. In fact, it might be more helpful to think of God's sovereignty as a verb. God is the one who sustains and nourishes all life, directing things towards their true end. To say God is sovereign is to say God is actively and intimately involved in this world. To see in the insatiable thirst for life a will 
or intentionality that all things are geared towards life and not death, towards flourishing and not corruption, towards fullness and not nothingness. The insatiable thirst for life. Welcome back to Radio Church. Isaiah goes further. Isaiah sees a deep connection between the thirst for life in the world around us and the thirst for life in human beings. Call it a disposition towards hope. Call it a yearning in human beings for justice, for freedom, for autonomy for flourishing and peaceful existence. To wait on the Lord is, for Isaiah, to orient ourselves to the fullness of human existence as God intends and to be restored and strengthened in accordance with its coming. St. Paul, if you think of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, he uses the word groaning. The whole creation groans in labor pains as something new is being born, this new creation that God's spirit is bringing about. I want you to think back quite a way now to uh, Joe Biden's inauguration last year and uh, the words of Amanda Gorman, the young African-American poet who spoke in his inauguration. She said these words, the dawn is ours before we knew it, she said. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. That word unfinished says so much. She infers that there's a finish that lies ahead, an end, a goal that they're heading towards, a fulfillment towards which the hopes of the American nation are oriented. The dawn is already rising. For Gorman, the light is already breaking in. We simply need to step out of the shade. The light cannot be extinguished. That insatiable thirst for life cannot be quenched. And I believe we've heard the same song for decades in our own country. In 1984, Justice Joe Williams released a song entitled Maranga Ake Ai, or Rise Up Again and Again. At the time, it caused a bit of a stir because of its evocative lyrics and anti-establishment tone. The lyrics go, there's a movement, a movement on the street, people moving, they shuffle to the beat. I hear them talking, talking on the street. Where's my freedom from oppression? because that's what my people need. Like in Amanda Gorman's poem, there's a sense of movement towards something. There is a goal. The reggae beat is the music of a people on the move, towards justice, towards freedom, towards life. Isaiah and Calvin would point to God's sovereignty, God who is at work in everything, sustaining, nourishing, fulfilling, orienting towards life. What we hear in Gorman and Williams, 
is an ancient and recurring theme. We hear that same song in the words of Isaiah, who wrote to the people of Israel in exile in Babylon. For Israel at the time, the sovereignty of Babylon, their power and dominance was so complete that the people began to question God's faithfulness to them. God had abandoned them to the hands of their oppressors. Isaiah seeks to settle and comfort. And so God's sovereignty is no abstract doctrine of a God ruling from afar. No, these words of praise to God are the source of pastoral comfort in the midst of deep uncertainty. Isaiah directs the people's attention beyond their immediate situation toward the stars and the magnitude of the universe stretched out like a canvas, a tent in which all things live and move and have their being. Isaiah extols the glory of God in the light of such glory. Even the rulers of the earth are like grasshoppers. Even the empire of Babylon will rise and fall like a garden plant. God's sovereignty in the Treaty of Waitangi. One can hardly avoid the geopolitical and social implications of Isaiah's message. The sovereignty of God is a direct challenge to the power of those who exercise sovereignty over others. Wherever life is diminished, wherever freedom is taken away, wherever the autonomy and rights of another are not recognized, God's spirit is working to bring about justice, renewing, and strengthening. It's hard to hear those words from Isaiah 40 on Waitangi weekend without drawing connections to our own situation in Aotearoa, New Zealand. We are a treaty people, a covenant people, committed to reconciliation and to equal partnership. There is an increasing recognition of this in principle, in practice, however. We hear time and again that it's not the case, that the sovereignty of Māori as equal covenant partners is not recognised with regard to land, to waterways, to culture, to language, to people, to taonga. In recent times, we can think of ihmata, the controversies surrounding Oranga Tamariki, the poor conditions of Waikaria prison, the inmates of which are disproportionately Māori and Pacifica. Last year, the question of Māori representation on regional councils and the formation of Māori wards has been raised. Māori are saying again and again that they are not represented and their interests are not being upheld. The word sovereignty is perhaps one of the most contentious words in New Zealand today because it gets to the heart of the mistranslation of the treaty. In Article 1, the English gives the Queen of England all rights and powers of sovereignty. The real version 
uses the word kawanatanga, perhaps best translated governorship. The problem is that sovereignty is perhaps most accurately translated rangatiratanga or mana, something the Māori chiefs would never have ceded to the Queen of Great Britain. In fact, in the reo of Article 2, which talks about land possession, Māori explicitly maintain rangatiratanga over their land, villages and taonga. So you can see where the misunderstanding arose, a misunderstanding that is continuing to have effect today. God's sovereignty is like a small seed. Where do we even begin? How do we step out of the shade? The practicalities are so complex and large. As a pakeha, I seek to be well informed, but I can never know what it means to be Māori in Aotearoa today, and nor would I presume to know what the solutions might look like. We might begin, as followers of Jesus, to look to how God exercises sovereignty and to witness to that with words and with actions. In our gospel reading today, we see God's sovereignty in the world begins small and intimate. God undermines the powers of the world, not through revolution and military might, but through the small and apparently insignificant. Jesus, who enters the home uh, of a sick woman in a small fishing village in rural Galilee on the edges of the Roman Empire, And there he heals her, restores her dignity, enables her, empowers her to act as host to Jesus and his guests. This work of restoration, of giving life, begins in the intimacy of the home. By evening, Jesus then steps out into the street and the city gathers around. And the next morning, Jesus heads throughout all Galilee and eventually to Jerusalem. It's the inner logic of our gospel passage today, and indeed of God's sovereign power in the world. There's a challenge in this for us. God's sovereign action involves you and me in our daily interactions. In Aotearoa, you and I are all treaty partners, called to partner with one another, protect the taonga of one another, and participate in the work of reconciliation together. We don't need changes at the national level to begin this way. But there is also comfort in the knowledge that it is not up to us. God is sovereign, creating and sustaining all things and bringing all things by the Spirit to their true end in the fullness of time. As Amanda Gorman says, may we learn to lift our gaze above what stands between us to what stands before us. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in to Radio Church. I hope it was meaningful for you. We go in the power of the Spirit, through whom Christ is with us, drawing us into the drama of salvation, restoring our souls and bringing all things to their proper end, to the glory of God, now and forever. Kia tau, kia tātou katoa, te ata whai o tau tātou arike e hukarati, me te aroha o te atua, 
eti fifina tangitanga kita wairu tapu ake 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 amine and as we go a short song by local artist Malcolm Gordon how long o lord go in peace how long o lord will you forget how long till you let your face shine on us oh love i have heard you crying out i have come to rescue you my child oh love unfailing love my heart rejoices light to my eyes heaven sweet graces to us oh love how long o oh lord will you forget how long till you let your face shine on us oh love i have heard you crying out i have come to rescue you my child oh love unfailing love my heart rejoices light to my eyes heaven sweet graces to us oh love unfailing love my heart rejoices light to my eyes heaven sweet graces to to my eyes heaven sweet graces to us oh love this podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air